This is the Hasidic Story Project with Barack Holman, podcasting from Jerusalem, Israel. This podcast is sponsored by listeners just like you. To become a supporter of this podcast, please go to HasidicStory.com. H-A-S-I-D-I-C Story.com. You'll never know. You'll never know. You'll never know. You'll In a shul in the neighborhood of Ramot, in the holy city of Jerusalem, there was once a rabbi who was sitting and learning with his chavuta, with his Torah study partner. And he notices a Haredi-looking Jew dressed with a hat and a black coat, but clearly not looking like your normal Ashkenazi or Svardi Jew, because this Jew, whose name was Eliezer, had been once known as Claude. And Claude was born in the country of Benin, which is in Africa. The country was a dangerous place to live, and Claude and his wife had decided to try to escape by illegally crossing the border and eventually ending up in Ghana. And many people were killed trying to cross the border, and the country of Ghana did not want citizens from Benin. But Claude and his wife, feeling like they had no choice, took their chances and successfully made it to the other side. Claude felt a deep connection with Hashem, with God, and he felt that God had safely brought him to his new home in the capital of Ghana, Accra. He looked for work and was very fortunate to find a job as a cook in the French embassy. And after several months of working there, one day a Haredi Jew from the holy city of Jerusalem shows up in Accra, in Ghana, and it's not what people are used to seeing. He had come for a year to work in the mining industry with his family, and not knowing how things worked locally, he sent word around that he's looking for somebody to help him run his house. Word reached Claude in the French embassy, and he immediately quit his job as a cook and ran to George's house. He knocks on the door and he says, My name is Claude, and I'm here for the job, to be your servant, to help you with whatever you need. And George said, Tell me a little bit about yourself. So Claude said, I've never met a Jew before. I've heard about them. I know you're the chosen people, and I believe in God, and I want the opportunity to serve God's chosen people. So I quit my job at the embassy, and I'm here to work for you, sir. And that's how Claude began to help George. He followed him everywhere, helped him to buy dishes and everything he needed for the kitchen, to take everything to the local river, which was the mikveh. He found him a Shabbos boiler and a hot plate, and even put a timer on the lights so that they could be turned off automatically on Shabbos, and also helped him find a place where he could daven quietly. And one morning, as George is finishing to daven, Claude noticed that he was taking off his tefillin, and he says to George, what are those boxes and straps that you were just wearing? And George tells Claude, this is a commandment from God. God commanded the Jewish people, men, to wear tefillin. So Claude said, can I please put them on? And George explained to him that first of all, he wasn't Jewish, so there was no reason for him to put them on. But even if he wanted to, he couldn't do it. It was only something that Jews were allowed to do. And so Claude looks at George and he says, In that case, I will become a Jew so I can keep all of the commandments like you and your home here. I can keep Shabbos and I can keep kosher and I can put on tefillin and wear tzitziot. George, I want to be a Jew. But George explained to him that becoming a Jew wasn't so simple. He had to go before a rabbinical court, a Beit Din, and there wasn't one in Ghana. There was hardly a Beit Din in all of Africa. And Claude said, No problem. He spent every minute he had reading about Judaism online buying books, going deeper and deeper. All he wanted to do was become a Jew. 
And Yom Kippur time came around, and George was able to organize a minion of 10 Jewish men to daven for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And Claude shows up to the Yom Kippur davening with a machzor, the special prayer book for Yom Kippur, translated into French. And he was wearing a talit and a kippah, and he had walked for over an hour to get to the minion, fasting and walking because he knew that it was forbidden to drive on Shabbos and Yom Tov. And when he arrived, George said to him that he wasn't allowed to keep Yom Kippur, that since he wasn't Jewish, it was forbidden, and that he might even die as a result of it. And Claude said, I don't care. I want to be a Jew. And if it means that I will die because I kept Yom Kippur, then it's worth it for me. Around a year later, not long before Tishrei, the holidays of Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, and Simchat Torah, George was planning on going back to Israel. And he was a little concerned about Claude because he had gotten so deeply into Judaism. He was afraid that Claude would insist on coming back with him. And he wanted to discourage him. He tried the whole year to discourage him from this conversion idea. And he decided that he wouldn't tell Claude that he was leaving until a few hours before. And hopefully Claude would drop his desire to be a Jew. And several hours before the flight, George tells Claude, I want to thank you for all of your work and all your service. Everything you've done for me. And he gives him a nice stack of money. He says, I'm going back to Israel. And Claude said, then I'm coming with you. George said, no, you can't come with me. You don't understand. You're not a citizen. And George's wife is there. And she says, we have to take Claude back with us. So George tells him, listen, you have six hours to pack everything. You're welcome to join me and my family, but you're only going to enter Israel on a tourist visa. That means you can only be there for three months, and then they'll kick you out. And Claude ran home and told his wife that they're going to Israel, and she had been getting into learning Judaism as well. They packed up everything they owned. Luckily, they had passports, and they arrived in Israel with George and his family. Claude was in another world. He was in the country of the Jews. And he found a French-speaking shul, a Beit Midrash, a study hall, where they learned Torah all day and all night. And all Claude wanted to do was learn to be a Jew. And on that Yom Kippur, he went to shul with George and stood for 25 hours, fasting and reciting all the prayers from his French machzor. And after Sukkot, he told George, you have to take me to the Beit Din. You have to take me to the rabbinical court that does conversions. I have to be a Jew. And Claude and his wife went before the Beit Din. He told them everything he had experienced, and they said they want to become Jews. And the Beit Din denied him. The judges told him, it's not for you. It's enough that you be a righteous Gentile. Keep the seven Noahite laws. That's enough. You don't need to be a Jew. But Claude didn't care. He came back again. And again he was refused by the Beit Din. And so he came back a third time. And again they refused him. They told him, don't ever come back here again. You will never be accepted for a conversion. We do not want to convert you. But nothing moved Claude. He said, honorable rabbis, I will accept your decision that you will not convert me and that I will never come back here again on one condition. Huh? The rabbis of the Beit Din look up at Claude and they said, no, you're setting conditions for us now? What's the condition? He said, before I leave this Beit Din, I want each of the three judges here to sign and officially stamp a document that I, Claude, came before this Beit Din on this specific day, asking to convert to Judaism, and you refused me. So the judges thought Claude's a little crazy. And they said to him, why in the world do you need a document like that? And Claude told the Beit Din, I know that Mashiach is coming soon, and when the Messiah comes and I meet him, he's going to say to me, Claude, why didn't you become a Jew? 
you knew the truth and you didn't become a Jew. And I will tell Mashiach that the bait didn't turn me away. Not once and not twice, but three times. And they told me to never come before them again. And I will show them the document that you're going to sign right now. And with that, the judges of the Beit Din accepted Claude's request to become a Jew. And he went through the full process. He and his wife converted. They spent three months apart and got remarried. And when they were standing under the chuppah, became husband and wife. It was now Chana and Eliezer who became Chatan and Kala, according to the law of Moses and Israel. one more story for you, and this is a story that was told by the greatest storyteller ever, Rabbi Shlomo Karubach, my teacher, and in a sense, my Rebbe for stories for sure. No one's inspired me more in how to tell stories than Rabbi Shlomo, and this is one of Shlomo's classic stories that you can find on YouTube and on CDs, and it's recorded, and I don't like to tell stories that Shlomo told because he did such a good job, but this is such a wonderful story. And Baruch Hashem, I'm blessed with a very big audience of tens of thousands of listeners around the world. So I figured, if nobody heard this story, it's worth retelling it. And I pray in Shemayim that Reb Shlomo is smiling as I tell it. In the town of Mezhibuz, where of course everybody knows the Hele Gebal Shem Tov lived and is buried, there was one Jew who was known as Yankele the Ganiv, Yankele the Thief. And Yankele, believe it or not, even though he was a thief, was one of the Hasidim of the Helege Baal Shem Tov. Before the Baal Shem Tov came around, Yankele stole from everyone. He didn't really care. But after he met the Holy Master, the Baal Shem Tov, he made a decision. He wouldn't steal from poor people anymore. He would only steal from the extremely rich, and especially Goyim. Because they have so much money, do they really care if they're missing a little bit? And besides, they're Goyim. And the Goyim treat us terribly anyhow. And he became an expert at stealing from traveling noblemen. Because as you know, in those days, the way people traveled with money is they simply had a safe and some guards. There was no way to transfer money online or go to an ATM and pull out cash. And there was a certain place on the highway near Mejibuz where Yankele and his gang would rob all of the noblemen that came by. And you know, he would get a hundred rubles or a thousand rubles. But after a few years of doing this, Yankele had a vision. He had a great dream. One day, he wanted to steal 50,000 rubles. You know, one time, somebody asked Yankele on Yom Kippur, aren't you ashamed to stand before Hashem on this holy day when you've stolen from everybody in this town? And Yankele answered matter of fact. He said, no, it's already been decided in heaven. Who's going to be stolen from? I just asked Hashem to send me the best ones. And Yankele was very proud of being a thief. He never denied. He even turned to Hashem and Davin that he'd be successful in stealing. But every now and then, even the great expert Yankele the Ganev would get himself in trouble. And when the police were on his tail, he would run into the Beit Midrash of the Baal Shem Tov and say, Rebbe, please, you have to help me. The police are on my tail. I stole a thousand rubles. And the Baal Shem Tov would give him a bracha and somehow the police would forget about it. 
And in this way, Yankele was very successful. Every time he stole money and the police were chasing him, he'd go to the Baal Shem Tov, who would bless him, and the police would leave him alone. Now it was Shavuot, late spring, this time of year, the holiday where we celebrate the receiving of the Torah on Mount Sinai, and a very fancy, distinguished nobleman was passing through Mejibuz on his way to St. Petersburg. Yankele heard that the nobleman was spending the night in Mejibuz. He organized his gang of thieves. They took a ladder, climbed up to the top floor, into the window, stole the treasure chest, and when they broke it open, they realized that it had 50,000 rubles in it. 50,000 rubles! Yankel and the thieves were dancing the horror. They were so happy. Yankel was on his knees, thanking Hashem. Hashem, dreams do come true. My greatest dream in life was to steal 50,000 rubles. And here, Hashem, you gave it to me. Now, Yankel had gone around telling this dream to everybody for years. And how many thieves were there really in Mejibuz? And who would have the chutzpah to steal 50,000 rubles? The police knew Yankele. He would say to the police that it was his dream. It didn't take long for Yankele to realize that the police were coming for him. And do you think that Yankele was scared? No, not at all. Yankele simply went to the Baal Shem Tov like every time. He figured, I go to the Rebbe, gives me a bracha, they forget about it. So he might have to give me a little bigger bracha this time. 50,000 rubles is a lot of money. It's the day after Shavuot, and he runs into the Beit Midrash, and the Hasidim were sitting around like it was Tisha B'Av, like it was the saddest day of the year. And he says to the Hasidim, Hey, why is everybody down? What's with you guys? You're Hasidim. You're supposed to be happy. Never mind. Where's the Baal Shem Tov? They didn't answer him. He goes over to one guy, he says, Hey, where's the Rebbe? Where is he? The guy just starts crying. <laughs> He's like, okay, this guy's crazy. Goes to the next chassid. Hey, where's the Baal Shem Tov? Eventually, one of the chassidim, he says, Yankele, where have you been? Don't you know? The Baal Shem Tov passed away yesterday. Our great Rebbe, our dearest friend, our father, he passed away yesterday. The Heidegge Baal Shem Tov passed away. And all of a sudden, Yankele realized how important and how special the Baal Shem Tov had been. Rabbi Nachman of Breslov, of course, is the great-grandson of the Baal Shem Tov. He says there's a tzaddik tachton and a tzaddik elion. There's a lower-level tzaddik and a higher-level tzaddik. The lower-level tzaddik loves only holy people, but the higher-level tzaddik loves everyone because the higher-level tzaddik is like Hashem, who also loves everyone. And the Baal Shem Tov was a tzaddik elion. He was the highest-level tzaddik. And for him, it was not a problem to love Yankele, the Ganev, the thief. But now the Baal Shem Tov was gone, and Yankele was alone in the world. And who was going to help him? And he turns to one of the Hasidim, he says, So what do I do now? Who's going to bless me now? The police are hot on my trail. I have to get a blessing from somebody. So they said, well, we think that Rabbi Yaakov Yosef of Polnoy, he's going to succeed the Baal Shem Tov. So why don't you go talk with him? And Rabbi Yaakov Yosef was one of the top three students of the Baal Shem Tov. And even though he was a great student of the Baal Shem Tov, he wasn't the Baal Shem Tov. 
But when Yankele came running into the Beit Midrash, shouting, Rebbe, Rebbe, please bless me. The police are hot on my trail. Please bless me. Rebbe Yaakov Yosef, he says to Yankele, what do you mean they're hot on your trail? What are you talking about? Bless you for what? And Yankele says, you don't know who I am. I'm Yankele the Ganev. I'm Yankele the thief. And I just stole 50,000 rubles. And the police are chasing me. You have to bless me so they'll forget about it and I can keep the money. And Rabbi Yaakov Yosef, he was a great tzaddik, but he wasn't the Helig Baal Shem Tov. He says to Yankele, are you crazy? You have the chutzpah to come into my shul, tell me that you're a thief, admit that you stole 50,000 rubles, and you want me to bless you for a transgression? Get out of here! Are you out of your mind? Now Yankele didn't know what to do. The police were for sure looking for him everywhere, and so he knew he had only one place to go. He had to go straight to the cemetery, to the freshly dug grave of the Helega Baal Shem Tov. And he threw himself on the grave, and he cried out to the Baal Shem Tov, Holy Rebbe, I see you left. Rebbe for the Tzadikim. But what about us? What about your thieves? What about the broken people like me? Who's our Rebbe? And he was crying so much. He knew, what's the point of 50,000 rubles if he's going to spend the rest of his life in prison? And he was so tired from the stress, not sleeping and running around, he simply fell asleep. (laughs) And all of a sudden, the holy master, the Helegabal Shem Tov, appears to him in a dream. He says, Yankele, Yankele, wake up. And in his dream, Yankele looks up at the Baal Shem Tov. The Baal Shem Tov says, Yankele, I want you to know that since the destruction of the Holy Temple, no prayer has shook heaven like your prayer did. It's true. Everyone wants to be the Rebbe of Tzadikim. And who wants to take care of the broken people like you? But you should know, Yankele, I didn't forget about you. I didn't forget about the broken people. Before I left this world, I appointed my grandson, the Heilige Degel Machane Ephraim of Tzadikov, to be the Rebbe of all the holy thieves. Go to him and he'll bless you and the police will forget about it. And Yankele said, thank you, Rebbe. Thank you so much. I'm going to have to wake up and go over there now. The Bashemtev said, no, 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 Yankele, not yet. If you just show up there, he won't know that it's really coming from me. Every Friday night, I learn with my grandson, the Parsha, the Torah portion of the week, as it's learned here in heaven. And I'm going to teach it to you, word for word. And you remember exactly what I say. And if you can repeat it to him word for word, he'll know that I really sent you. And so the Helega Baal Shem Tov gave Yankele the heavenly teaching as is taught in the world to come. And Yankele wakes up from his dream. <coughs> he knows it's only a few kilometers from Sadokov to Mejibuz. And so he runs as fast as he can. And breathlessly, he reaches the door of the synagogue of the Degel Machane Ephraim. And he says, Rebbe, please, I have to speak with you in private. And Rebbe Ephraim leads him to a side room. And Yankele starts reciting word for word the Torah as it's taught in heaven. And Rebbe Ephraim says to Yankele, how do you know this? No one can know this. And he says, your grandfather, my Rebbe, came from heaven in a dream to teach me this Torah so that you would know that I really was sent by him. You see, Rebbe, I'm a thief, and I stole 50,000 rubles. 
And Yankele tells the Degel Machane Ephraim the whole story. And the Rebbe blesses him. And all of a sudden, the nobleman says, you know what? What's 50,000 rubles to me? He tells the police to call off the search and continues on his way to St. Petersburg. And the police forgot about it. And Yankele kept the 50,000 rubles. But you know, my sweetest friends, when the Hele Gabal Shem Tov comes to you and teaches you the Torah as it's taught in paradise, do you think that you can steal again? When the Holy Baal Shem Tov was in this world, he couldn't stop Yankele from stealing. But when he left this world and came back from heaven, every word that he taught Yankele, Mamish fixed his soul. And Yankele couldn't steal anymore after that. Eventually, he returned the 50,000 rubles became one of the closest students of the Degel Machane Ephraim. And for decades he learned by the Rebbe, until eventually Rebbe Ephraim made Yankele the thief a Rebbe of his own. And I guarantee you, the Yankele sought out all of the thieves and all of the broken people because he knew what it was to be in that place. And he knew how to lift them up and pull them up. And the truth is, when Yankele was a young boy, he didn't have the motivation to learn Torah. He wanted to learn, but he didn't achieve anything at a young age. It wasn't because he didn't love Hashem. And it wasn't because he wanted to become evil. It was just because he gave up. And when the Baal Shem Tov met Yankele, he saw his potential. And he wanted to guide him and bring him to be the person that he was meant to be. And that's why he blessed Yankele every time. He just ignored the transgression, hoping that eventually Yankele would realize that he himself was meant to be the Rebbe of the thieves and all the broken Jews. And if we, my sweetest friends, can sometimes attain that level for judging our fellow Jews, but not just for judging our fellow Jews, but also for judging ourselves, then we too have the opportunity to live up to our fullest potential. Like the Hele Gabal Shem Tov wants for all of us. And like Hashem, like a father that's watching his child walk for the first time, wants to see us get up and walk and grow. Thank you so much for listening, my sweetest friends. I hope you have a beautiful Shavuot and a beautiful Shabbos. And I hope that the stories inspire you and lift you up as well. 
I have another book that I'm working on, Bezat Hashem. If you don't know, I have two books on Amazon, two very Jewish memoirs, and a third one where I talk about my experiences of going to Mejibuz and visiting the grave of the Helig Baal Shem Tov, and of course, Rabbi Nachman. And when I tell these stories, I'm right back there. And I can tell you, I never met the Baal Shem Tov, of course, because he died around 250 years ago. But when I tell these stories, I see him right in front of me. So thank you for listening. And I look forward to our next story next week. Akudyantiv, Chag Sameach, Zaygezunt.